Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival. We are here today at Atlantic Center for the Arts, the home of the festival. I'm your host, John Brooks. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Kevin Miller. How are you today, Kevin? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm looking at a picture of our guest today, and uh, do not show a picture of him to your girlfriend or wife. <laughs> yeah. He's a handsome fella. He is a handsome fella. Yeah. He's a handsome guy, and he's a damn good photographer. We uh, are going to get into that more, but I just wanted to say welcome back to the podcast. And John, it's kind of getting fun. I'm sort of becoming more comfortable talking on the microphone. You really are. Longer and longer periods of time that your voice fills the airways, and I love it. I love it. I won't be too. I won't, you know, talk too much. But of course, once you get more comfortable, you start to talk slower and deeper and relax. <laughs> and do it. I think for for what it's worth, you know. You want me on the microphone a little bit more every every time, don't you? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's so much. Uh, no, it's good stuff. And um, just real quick, we'll run through uh, our sponsors for the Florida Surf Film Festival. Couldn't do it without these folks. Our presenting sponsor, Monster Energy, uh, Rourke Apparel, Globe Footwear. Uh, Yeti provides all of our beverage uh, facilitation needs. Uh, Advent Health. And then our media partners, Surfline.com and the Surfer's Journal, the finest publication in the history of surfing. And uh, any archival information is provided by Encyclopedia of Surfing, Matt Warshaw's uh, fantastic site that documents everything from A to Z about surfing. And uh, yeah, we're... You think he'll come on? I, I think he might. I think he might. I think we got a, sh- a chance. He, he just did the London Surf. Film Fest, or what is it called now? Looking Sideways, or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's Looking Sideways. So he must have taken the, you know, anxiety medication. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, think we could get him on here. I think the, we could do it. The right number, the right donation? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to that, then. I would love to have Matt on. But in the meantime, we've got some other special folks coming on board. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward, we've got uh, the founder of the Kona Surf Film Festival, Chad Campbell, is going to be on an episode real quick. Also, uh, early days Tavarua Boatman. Um, he made my one of my top five favorite surf movies. Yeah, Fifth Symphony Document. That was a game changer for me as well. And um, yeah, can't wait to have Chad on. Um, who else we got coming down the pipe? Well, I mean, it, the, the list is kind of... Uh, short on famous people which is how we want to keep it the goal of the podcast is really to sort of document those stories this American lifestyle 
you know, folks like Dave Sokol, uh, Brian Lehman, Chad Davis, who runs the Carolina Surf Film Festival, Tyler Brewer. I mean, I, I could go on, but these folks are all important to us. And you'll find out why, you know, in the next couple of months. Awesome. Well, that's great to look forward to. Um, right now, we'll get to today's guest. Uh, Marcus Palladino is a name that uh, some folks may not have heard, but within the industry, uh, Marcus is a bit of a titan, so to speak. He's uh, really well known for cold water surf photography. He's uh, based on the island of Tofino in western Canada. He's worked with such notable surfers as uh, Pete DeVry, uh, Noah Cohen, Noah Wegrich, Balaram Stack, uh, filmmakers such as Ben Gulliver. Um, the list goes on. But uh, we uh, have the pleasure of being joined by Marcus today from his home in Tofino. What's up with Canada? I know. I know. Canada. It, Canada's holding. Canada's holding for I sure. I just did that. That's classic like uh, podcast when you want to make a point. You go. What's up with Canada? <laughs> I think Canada is holding. And I can't, you know, say I really am dying to go there just because it's so cold. But we got to get up there at some point. Nova Absolutely. Scotia in September, October, it's totally doable, provided the border is open. But uh, it's on the list, man. I mean, there's there's so many waves. Yeah, it's really east and west coast of Canada. There's definitely so much potential for surf. But, uh, yeah, we're going to talk to Marcus about those things, and uh, thanks for tuning in, and let's get started talking to Marcus. You know, welcome, Marcus. Welcome to the podcast, and, uh, you know, right off the bat, I feel like uh, the question that, that Kevin and I are wondering, and, and lots of people, is, is how did you get started? What's your kind of origin story? Uh, how did you become a surf photographer? Well, it's kind of like a, it's a bit of a long story and I can kind of make it as short as possible. It like, photography definitely didn't happen overnight for me. It kind of happened in like sections and chunks. So I guess I got started in photography in high school. Um, we had like alternative classes where we got to pick whatever we wanted to do. And uh, we had a photography option. Oh, nice. And yeah, my sister had taken it. She's two years older than me. And she was like, oh, the teacher is such a slack, easy A don't even stress, take that class. So she's the reason I took photography. And then, yeah, exactly that. It was super easy and chill and I actually really enjoyed it. And my love for photography grew from there. Where were you in high school? I grew up in Nanaimo. So Nanaimo is on the east side of Vancouver Island. There's definitely no surf there. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really know anything about surfing at the time. I was really into like snowboarding and skateboarding. How'd your parents end up there and you know, are you Canadian by birth and all that? Yeah, I'm actually half Canadian, half Italian. My father is from Southern Italy and my mom is from Deep Cove. And they met working on an international cruise ship. Uh, she was the oh. waitress. He was the cook. And then they fell in love. And I think the story is they flipped a coin whether or not to raise their kids in Canada or in Italy. Oh. <laughs> Something, something along those lines, but yeah, we ended up in uh, ended up in Canada. You speak any Italian? Oh, io parlo piccolo italiano. Okay, Very good. little Italian. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I had to pick wave wise, I would pick Canada all day long. I guess. Italy's yeah, got sure. some, Italy's got surf, but yeah, not nearly <laughs> as consistent as Canada for sure. Yeah, that's what my dad keeps saying, but I don't know. Not worth the risk to go there for some wind swell, but we'll see. Right on. Well, I, my son just you know, is a senior in high school, Jack. He's uh, in love with photography. He's basically in your position. So, and, and we have probably more than 15 or 20 of those listening, hopefully, um, that are like, wow, yeah, I remember the photography class in high school and always wondered what I could do with it. And mm -hmm. nobody seems to end up where you are. And how old are you right now? I am 29. I'm turning 30 in September, which is crazy to say. Oh, yeah. Proud. Right. Exactly. Oh, wow. yeah. So, it's, you know, 10 years into a career that weeds people out within weeks, um, you know, and so that's kind of the that, you know, step by step, as you described, it's kind of like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And so you, you've gotten oh, yeah. through chapter one. What's chapter two? So let's see. I guess chapter two would be me graduating high school. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was a little lost. I wasn't very like academically inclined. And 
um, one of my favorite teachers, he gave me some good advice. He said, find what you like to do and find a way to get paid for it. So I was like, okay, well, I really like photography. I should find a way to get paid for that. So first step, easy solution. I thought I'll go to school. So I went to school for photography. I went to North Island College. They had a professional photography program there. And yeah, I guess that's chapter two is I went to that school. And the reason I picked that school was because it was 30 minutes away from Mount Washington. So I just go snowboarding all the time. I got a student season's pass. I would have half day classes where I would ride at the mountain till about noon and then hustle down, eat my lunch in my car and get to class still in all my snowboard gear. (laughs) They weren't, uh, they weren't super excited about that, but yeah. So that was kind of the next part of my journey was being in school and I learned a lot of things there, but I definitely left with like a lot more questions because it's like, they definitely teach you the aspects you need to know to become a good photographer. It doesn't make you a good photographer. And it's like, they just give you the tools to be successful. So it took a long time after that to really dial in what I was doing specifically with photography. And, you know, once I realized that all I wanted to do was go to Mount Washington and take photos of snowboarding with my friends, I realized, oh, can that be an aspect of photography to make a career? But I kind of got shut down a lot and everyone was just like, no, no, you have to shoot weddings. You have to do photography this way. You have to take portraits. And it's like, I didn't really, I don't really like being told what I have to do. So I was kind of, I was kind of like the rebel of the class. I like, you know, we had a portfolio project and they gave us a list of, um, list of options of how we wanted to do it. And I just crossed all that out and just made my own option and submitted it, made it snowboarding. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I wasn't like the ideal student in that scenario, but I don't know. It worked for me and I got a piece of paper that says I know how to take a photo and then I moved on from there. Nice. I mean, the best artists are usually not the best students in whatever mm-hmm. medium they practice in. <laughs> yeah, but, it um, seems that way. So then it sounds like you, you were really engaged in, in snowboarding and, and wanting to kind of transition to that as a career, like photographing and snowboarding. How did you transition from that into surfing? So as soon as I graduated, I ended up moving to Vancouver and I started working at Cypress Mountain. Um, I really wanted to move to Whistler because I was like, that's where all the snowboard photographers go. That's where all my like idols live. But I really didn't have the money or the means to get started up there. And I had a big student loan I had to pay off. Sure. So I had a cousin who lived in Vancouver. I lived on her couch for like a month. I started working at Cypress Mountain. And yeah, I did the season up there, took a bunch of photos, was kind of just like still figuring it out. And then a fellow I worked with, um, we were kind of like in the spring season. And he was asking, oh, like, what are you going to do when the mountain closes, what are you going to do for the off season? And I didn't really have an answer. I hadn't really thought that far ahead. (laughs) I definitely didn't want to move back to Nanaimo. That was like (laughs) one priority. I was like, I'm not going back there. There's nothing for me there. And um, I asked him and he's like, Oh, I spend every summer in Tofino. I work at a resort. I live in their staff. I go surfing. It's like, it's the best summer ever. You got to do it. So that kind of lit a fire under my butt. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really fun. What a great way to spend the off season. So yeah, I ended up Googling resorts in Tofino and I sent my resume to every single one. <laughs> and then luckily, one of, them, one of the managers hit me back and they're like, hey, I see you work at Cypress Mountain. Me and my friends are going up there uh, this weekend. I'd love to meet you. And I was like, absolutely. So on my lunch break at work, I went up to the cafeteria and I met the manager of one of these resorts. And then, yeah, she sent me a text and was like, yeah, you're hired. I'm like, too easy. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, it it all worked out beautifully. That's how it's supposed to work out for the, you know, for the time being. When you need need to pay the bills, uh, those are the good jobs to have. I mean, what a great way to start developing relationships around, I mean, Tofino of all places. Yeah, absolutely. I do kind of feel like it was meant to be like, it's funny to think about it now and how it was just like, Oh, I'm gonna have a cool summer. Like, to be honest, the job was folding laundry. So it wasn't like a glamorous job I was hoping to get. But I was like, whatever, it's a place to live. And it's a job and it's right on the beach. So how can I complain? What kind of laundry are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, Linens. So I like to call myself a linen logistics engineer. It was towels, (laughs) uh, sheets pillowcases, all, all the good stuff at the resort. I mean, I bet your house, like if you look around, the towels are, you can <laughs> fold the shit out of those things. 
Oh man, I fold towels so fast, but it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's a really distinct technique that I'll never forget. Um, and me and my partner, Nora actually always argue about the proper way to fold a towel. <laughs> Hers are too wide. You can't stack them. You gotta, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unreal. Unreal. Is, is there, uh, I mean, other than traveling, I mean, when you get to Tofino, like, what are you thinking? Obviously you're folding towels. You're thinking, I got to get, I got to get out of the hotel. What's next? What am I going to do? To be honest, I was pretty happy with what was going on. I was, you know, I met so many friends. I just started surfing and I like fell in love with surfing right away. I started taking, you know, photos of my friends surfing. I started filming my friends surfing and it was like, yeah, it was really comfortable where I was. And then the summer ended and I, uh, it's funny, I actually ended up leaving Tofino to go do another snowboard season because at the time I thought, mm, that's what I'm going to do. But then while I was at the other mountain I was working at, I was just so obsessed with surfing and I hung out with all the Australians and we would just watch surf videos together and like, I wasn't really in it. And then that's when I realized I was like, I have to go back. So when I went back to Tofino, I figured, oh, I'll just spend another summer there. It was the best summer of my life. But I don't know, I just got really caught up into it. And then I was like, I remember talking to some people who were living there full time and I was like, oh, I'm thinking about staying the winter. And they were like, oh, if you stay the winter, you're staying forever. And I thought, no way. And then it's been almost 10 years and I'm like, oh, I'm still here. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I worked out of that laundry room for quite some time. I worked like a bunch of random jobs around the resort. I worked as a surf instructor. I worked in the kitchen. Um, I actually got my first photography gig through that resort. Um, I was a surf instructor at the time and I pitched them, pitched them the idea of taking photos of the surf lessons. And they were just sort of like, mm, sure, if you want to do that, why not? So I kind of developed my own sort of plan on how to do it. And yeah, that was, that was my summer gig, which was rad because all of a sudden I was like, oh, cool. I'm like making money through my camera. This is what I've been trying to do. So it was nice to like finally be able to use my certificate and my knowledge to actually make money, though it was only for like the summer, right? Right. So when... Um... So say you're, you're, you're at the resort, you're doing various odd jobs, surf instructor, some other things. You're starting to take pictures. As you indicated, you got your first paid gig as a photographer through the resort. Um, when did your first, like, um, when did your first gig come through as a photographer, like for a trip where somebody hired you and said, Hey, we want you to document this and in this way. Man, the first trip I did was totally pro bono and I spent all of my money to do it and made very little money <laughs> back from it. But um, yeah, friends, I, uh, I actually worked at a surf shop part time, just literally for fun. <laughs> and um, my friends wanted to go to France. So we saved up all summer and we rented an RV and went to France and drove around just like surfing and hanging out. And um, I kind of took the liberty of being like the camera guy on that trip. So I barely surfed and I just took photos of my friends the whole time. And uh, yeah, when I got back, like the thing is I had to quit my jobs to go do that trip because we were gone for like three, four weeks. And when I got back, I was kind of like, okay, well now what do I do? I spent all my, I spent a bunch of my savings. All I have is like a bunch of photos to really show for it. Like, what do I do from here? And I, at that point I had just turned 25 or 24. And I was kind of like, okay, well, if I'm going to make a dig at photography, I need to do it like now or never. Mm -hmm. it, like, I can't remember if it was a conscious thought or if it just sort of happened, but I was like, I'm not going to get another job this winter. Like I've got like a couple grand in my bank account. And I was like, that'll last me like X amount of months. And if I go from that to zero, I can just get a job at the surf shop again. So that was like my little safety net. Yeah. Oh, when you're like, 24, okay. when you're 24, two grand will last you like a decade. Oh, for sure. Like I was like, I can just eat potatoes all winter. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I decided I wasn't going to get a job and I was going to start shooting. And I had just moved into this house that was down the road from uh, Pete DeVries, who's a, mm -hmm. one of Canada's best surfers. And yep. we had been talking and discussing cause I knew him through friends and we had seen each other in the surf and I had mentioned, Oh, like I live, literally down the road we should shoot sometime so that kind of sparked that and me and pete started shooting all the time and that really kind of took my photography to the next level because i had just been shooting 
all of my friends and I had been shooting um, like the odd guy around town or girl, like if they were around and surfing and the waves were good. So like to actually have someone of his caliber and like organizing shoots with them really kind of took it to the next level. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, Pete is not just one of the best surfers in Canada. Pete's just one of the best surfers, period. Like the way yeah, that guy surfs sure. in thick, thick wetsuits is unbelievable. You know, there's a lot of guys that, that can't uh, do what he's doing in, you know, board shorts and t-shirts. So. Yeah. Kelly Slater once said that Pete DeVries was the most athletic uh, surfer in the world because of what he can do in five mil rubber. Wow. That's, I, I think I read that somewhere. Don't directly quote me, but <laughs> high, high praise there from, yeah. uh, from the goat. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So I, so I guess I was 25 or 24, 25 and me and Pete were shooting all the time and I was literally making ends meet if that, and it's like, I just thought, okay, if I can make it till June, then I can start my job taking photos or of surf lessons again. So that was kind of like my other safety net. I'm like, okay, I got to make it till June. I got to make it till June. And that's what kind of motivated me. And I literally took it month by month. Every time I would like pay my rent or get like a, a, a check, I would look at my bank account and just do the math. I'm like, okay, I've got like two months left with food, <laughs> food and gas. And yeah. So like it was really stressful and it was, uh, it was not a fun, not a fun time for me, but I made it work and I just like, I got so obsessed with it. I was like, okay, I have to shoot every day. I have to edit all the time. I got to be doing emails every morning. I could, yeah, I was really on it. And I, I was also surfing all the time too. So it's like, I would leave my board in my car and after I'd go shoot, I would go surf. Nice. So I was really like wearing myself pretty thin because a lot of people were like, oh, if you want to be a pro surf photographer, you can't be such an avid surfer and I was, just thought that was such a weird attitude to have yeah I was like well no why can't I do both like and to this day I really enjoy doing both and I don't see one um hindering the other at all um, oh, that's a hard balance I've always wondered about that and it seems to me your um your location s says a lot about that too because that seems to me Tovino is a place where you could probably get in an hour and a half of shooting and then knock out you know emails and editing for the rest of the day and and obviously catch a session yourself but who are you who are you emailing at the time and and what is that breaking point for you where somebody writes back and and you are over the moon yeah um so at the time like when i grew up idolizing photographers like snowboard photographers and stuff like i wasn't scrolling through instagram i was just flipping through magazines so for me, that was always like the pinnacle of success as an action sports photographer. I was like, oh, I have to get in magazines. That's how they get their name out there. That's how they get paid. That's how it's all done. Realistically, it's like, that's not really how it is anymore. Like the, the yeah. rates of magazines are much smaller than they were when I was reading them. Yeah. And um, yeah, a lot of, you know, those photographers I look up to don't, submit photos to magazines anymore they're too busy with clients so my goal was always okay I have to get published that's how it is um I think and I literally googled every surf magazine in the world <laughs> or as many as I could find and I would search for the editor's name and then just if I didn't have their email I would add the name of the editor at whatever the yeah. magazine was <laughs> and just hope it went through yeah um yeah and I think it was uh Roger Sharp from Carve Magazine in the UK. I'm pretty sure that was the first like international one I got published in. Badass. So that, yeah. that was a really exciting moment for me because I was like, oh, wow, I did it. Like I had a photo that was worthy. And to be honest, it was a photo that like I had kind of like put on the back burner. It wasn't even like one I really liked. So then I started thinking like, oh, wow, like I, I don't know. There's, there's value in all of my photos, not just the ones that I think are like the best because everyone sort of sees things differently. Sure. Yeah. And for, yeah, it was kind of like a pulled back shot of Pete doing a turn with like a bit of a forced backdrop. And for a UK magazine, they were really excited about that. But for me, I just shot that all the time. So I didn't care. Um, so then I started learning about like what other publishers and what other editors are like kind of looking for. And it's like for Canada, it's like, 
they really want to see cold. They really want to see backdrops. They really want to see um, the environment. And it's funny how like even a photo of somebody wearing gloves versus not wearing gloves doing the same thing. It's for like an international publication. It's almost gnarlier to see them in gloves. They'd mm, rather yeah. have that photo. Um, so then I started learning like how to not like adapt my style to what wanted to be seen. So it's like, it started with Carve Magazine and then I got a photo published in Surfing Magazine before they went under. So that was a big um, accomplishment for me because yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was in the photo issue too. So it was just like Whoa. with a bunch of interviews of like all these photographers I've been looking at. And yeah, I, from there, it just kind of snowballed. I think I just had the confidence after I started getting published once and then again and then again. And uh, yeah, it just kind of went from there. Nice, nice. And like, if you, if you look, if, you know, if somebody goes on your website and looks at your website, look, looks at your list of clients that you've worked with, it's basically, you know, most of the real heavy hitters in the industry, uh, you know, company wise, are you knocking their door down saying, Hey, I've got, uh, con I've got content and that, or are they calling you asking you once you've, once you've got a few photos published and you're arrived, so to speak, you know, and people are talking about you and, uh, how's that work? Oh, at the start, I was knocking on every single door possible. Yeah. yeah one, once I realized that, um, you know, magazines was uh, a good little bit of money, but I needed like a legit source of income. I started talking to like uh, server sponsors and like, uh, other clients and companies and brands. And yeah, like, I would just send emails with a bunch of photos and being like, Hey, are you interested in any of these? And more often than not, they'd say, no, get away from us. What is this? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just sort of like kept persisting me like, Hey, me again, how about these photos? And then, you know, it's funny how it just sort of snowballs again. So it's like they license one photo and then all of a sudden they're asking me to do a shoot. And then, you know, one thing just leads to another and then you kind of build these relationships with these clients and yeah, it just all kind of, comes together but no I'm definitely I'd say even still now I'm definitely knocking on people's door more than they're knocking on mine but um thankfully I have the portfolio now to kind of back it up yeah yeah but at the time it's like I didn't have much I just sort of had like a few photos of Pete and like a nice long nice email <laughs> right well and I mean I suspect there's never a point where somebody like yourself isn't hungry, isn't going out there and calling people and trying to make business happen. That, I mean, that's just not the uh, modern day business model for a photographer is to sit back and wait for people to call you. You just can't do it. Yeah. And I think that's uh, probably why a lot of aspiring photographers, I don't want to say fail, but like, don't, you know, progress it from a hobby to a career yeah. is that they're sort of sitting around waiting like, Oh, how do I get these clients? Like, why isn't, aren't all these gigs coming to me? But it's like, I don't know. You really just have to put yourself out there. And I learned that through trial and error. I learned that through, you know, having no money and being like, ah, I need to sell some photos, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've always kind of, well, I guess I've learned it more now, but like, yeah, you really have to back yourself into a corner and find a way to crawl out of it. That's the best way to learn how to do it. That that's definitely seems to be the artist way in a lot of mediums, um, mm -hmm. for sure. But um, and speaking of uh, speaking of the modern uh, era in surf photography, with uh, with the global pandemic going on right now, how how does that limit you? And are, are you having to kind of reinvent the wheel for yourself and figure out how to do this, given all the travel restrictions? Like, what's that like for you right now? Well. I definitely haven't been home this long in quite a few years. Yeah, I think me, the last, me either. The last, trip, <laughs> yeah, the last trip I did was in Mexico, like last summer. Um, it, like we didn't really end up doing many trips this winter because we had such a good winter here in Canada. So we were scoring all the time, which was great, which is a rarity, by the way, if anyone thinks they can just come to Canada and score good <laughs> waves. Yeah, like that was this past winter was the best winter I think I've ever had at home. Like wow. it was very productive and the waves were firing. So, yeah, um, I haven't traveled in a while and um, it's definitely kind of thrown a bit of a curveball in like our plans. Like uh, my friend wants to make a surf movie, but now we can't go anywhere. So he's like, well, maybe we can just do it like all about Canada. And 
it's like, can we even travel like across Canada? We're not really sure because everything's changing day by day. Sure. But, but as far as um, how my career is going, I was definitely really nervous, um, especially at the start of the pandemic because no one really knew what was going to happen. Um, but thankfully, the Canadian government sort of like gave everyone a safety net and bailed us out. <laughs> Um, nice. so I was on, uh, the Canadian emergency response benefit for a couple months there, which was nice. Perfect. So I didn't have to worry about working, even though I was constantly working. I feel like I worked harder during the pandemic than, you know, without <laughs> it. Cause I was like, okay, I need to make sure I get something going for when the world opens up, opens up again. Sure. And, um, yeah, at this point things are sort of back to normal for me. I mean, like we're not really, yeah, we're not doing any trips or anything, but I have a few clients I have like retainers with that kind of are continuing to keep things going. A lot of my US clients are still kind of like on budget freezes for obvious reasons because sure. yeah, I mean, I don't know how it is in Florida, um, but I think most places in the States are uh, kind of frozen right now as far as that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. From a business perspective, if frozen's the the appropriate term, from a weather perspective, it it's it's hot as uh, oh, good. Hades here. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, no, and we. I was wondering, by the way, you said you did a pro bono trip. Who was that with, and what was that? So you're like, I gotta get out of Tofino and actually shoot some stuff. Yeah, off the grid, I was. Maybe. I was just jonesing to go, you know, see some quote unquote real waves. I was just super excited to you know, go to the heavy beach breaks of Hasegore and go check that out. I went oh, nice. with um, my friend, Michael Darling, who's a uh, pro surfer as well. Um, but at the time he was very up and coming. And I went with my friend, Derek, who just worked at the surf shop with me. And uh, my friend, Malcolm, who was just a mutual friend of me and Michael's. And it's funny because me and Michael invited Malcolm without telling Derek. <laughs> and then we told him at the last second, we're like, listen, our friend Malcolm is coming and he had never met him. And he, yeah, and thankfully, every, they're both really great dudes. And we're like, trust me, you'll love each other. Nice. So it's like their first meeting was in an RV for like 21 days oh, driving geez. around. And now they're like best of friends, which is great. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's always dicey. It's always dicey when you're like putting together a trip, you know, with surfers. And, and uh, especially if it's not a business trip and it's just for fun. Like, like yeah, in, introducing two people in a, in an RV for 21 days is, uh, yeah, it's pretty old. tight quarters. Pretty tight yeah. quarters. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that trip was super fun. Um, we did guys, really did. Did you guys score? Uh, we scored on like the last two days of the trip. Okay. The rest of, I, that's what I learned about, um, France is it's a very, very windy place. Yeah. It's like, and if, when it's windy, it's just, uh, it's not very good. Yeah. But we had a lot of fun cruising around looking for waves and we had a lot of fun surfing onshore waves, but when the waves got good, it was a nice way to end it. So nice, yeah, we had nice. a, we had a good ending to the trip and I even wrote a story for that trip because I was trying so bad to get something published and I did thankfully. Awesome. Um, it was just with like a local uh, Canadian surf magazine that had just oh, been great, brought man. back from the grave and yeah, so that that worked out. I made yeah, I definitely spent more on that trip than I made. <laughs> exactly. So then uh, we we have a friend in common as well, Ben Gulliver, and uh, I know you've done some work with Ben. How how'd you meet Ben and and end up working with him? Uh, I guess I met Ben through Pete and Noah because they were filming for Ben's movie Seawolf. Uh huh. And right when they started filming for that is kind of around the time that I started working with Pete. So when Ben would come up to shoot those guys, I would be around taking photos as well. Yeah, so I don't think we ever had like a proper introduction. It was just sort of like, oh, hey, how's it going? You're here too, nice. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, through that, he's such a nice guy and we got along really well. And yeah, thankfully, um, after kind of like kicking and screaming, he finally um, invited me on a trip they were doing when they went to Scotland. Nice. Um, and yeah, that trip kind of turned up super last minute. Um, yeah, he just texted me and was like, Hey, do you want to go to Scotland? That's literally how just the text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's usually how most trips go is that like Pete will text if, if Pete or someone texts me and says, Hey, what do you got going on in the next coming weeks? My answer is always nothing. Where are we going? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And it's never like, Oh, do you want to go? It's always like, we're going this place. We're booking tickets. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, let's do this. Nice. Well, just, I'm a, I'm a CPA by trade chartered accountant. Like you guys may have it there. So I'm immediately, I'm thinking, well, who pays for that ticket? Oh, I'm definitely paying for it <laughs> for sure. Okay. All right. So um, it's an I'm, investment every time. Oh, it's, it's an investment every time. Like, um, you know, and the odd time just depending on, travel budgets and stuff we can get some things taken care of from the surfers who are gracious graciously pay for the accommodation or whatnot um or if there's sponsors involved like i was working with ruka pretty closely and uh they were kind of flowing me some plane tickets too which was nice nice um but yeah it's like it's always an investment whenever you're doing a trip you have to know okay i'm gonna spend a bunch of money and i'm gonna make it back like over the course of a year or two and then hopefully make more on top of that it's not the smartest investment but uh, it creates a really fun lifestyle for sure. Nice. What's, uh, what's Scotland like? I mean, you guys had last minute notification. You're on a plane in what, two days, and then you're driving through the countryside. Give us the lowdown. Yeah. So Ben and Noah and Pete had been to Scotland like two or three times already. Like they, they know the lay of the land so well. Um, and it was my first trip. So it was nice to have them kind of be like, okay, we're going to go to this zone first and then we'll check this zone at low tide and then we'll do this and that. And we'll check these spots later. It was, so it was a bit refreshing because most surf trips, like no one's ever been there and we're all kind of going on hunches or what we've heard. So it's a lot of driving around, like figuring it out and you sort of get everything dialed by the end of the trip. So thankfully by going to Scotland, they just knew where we were going and what we were doing the entire time, which was rad and it was still like an insane amount of driving as most surf trips are believe it or not sure yeah that's something that they don't really show in in surf movies is that you're in the car all day driving looking at other spots and checking different zones and like yeah it's like you don't spend any time at home you get up at 5 a.m you're out the door by six you're at the first spot by sunrise doesn't look that good you go to the next spot you're like okay we surf for three hours grab lunch get back in the car, drive two hours to check this other zone. It's no good. You drive an hour back to go to this zone. And then it's like, it's a lot of work. And you do that every day for like two, three weeks. And you're just sort of dead by the end. It's a lot of fun, but it's really tiring. Well, and they call that B-roll, but uh, it gets old real quick to have your camera on the entire time. (laughs) Yeah, well, just sort of on standby, like trying to shoot everything I can because you never know like what you're going to get for the whole trip. So you're kind of just shooting everything. Sure. Yeah. You've got like a limited amount of time to like tell a story and you're never sure if this, if just checking this one spot is like part of the story or not. So you just kind of keep shooting. Yeah. Yeah. So now on these trips, are you, uh, are you only shooting still photography or are you doing videography as well? Uh, well, my first few trips I did, I was only shooting stills. And then I kind of found the benefit of shooting um, some uh, some video as well from the water. Um, so like I have uh, like my own housing setup. But like, for example, in Scotland, Ben, um, <laughs> he, I think he or Balaram had accidentally invited another photographer at the same. <laughs> so like, I think Ball invited someone from like, um, wherever ball was and then ben invited, yeah. yeah and then ben had invited me and then all of a sudden it was like oh we have two photographers and then ben kind of was like hey well would you shoot like video from the water if i put my red together for you like on during a session i was like sure if that's what gets me on the trip let's do it yeah so it's uh yeah little things like that or um you know having if there's budget in the project having uh whoever's in charge of the budget you know pay for my accommodation or my car or my plane ticket or whatever to shoot x amount of sessions filming so that's super helpful to like pay for those trips and it's kind of refreshing to shoot video once in a while because i feel like i'm always looking for what makes the best photo and then like all of a sudden your brain sort of switches as to what makes the best clip absolutely kind of keeps you on your toes a bit nice nice I mean, I suspect all that downtime too provides not to drop the Ben theme yet, uh, but some boring uh, uh, bad weather indoors kind of stuff. Ben t- Ben said that he was fingerboarding one of those little skateboards during the <laughs> Scotland trip or something. Oh my God, for hours. I'd be <laughs> sitting right? there editing photos and he would just like be using the tech decks and just like grinding on his laptop and coming down and doing kickflips <laughs> with it. 
for hours. And the thing is, he wasn't that good when he started the trip. But by the end of the trip, he was doing like three flips to no stalls back down off books. It was like, yeah, he had it so dialed. A lot of, a lot of spare time, you know? Yeah, exactly. A lot of downtime, I suspect. But I mean, the landscape over there is, it's nuts, right? It's, you can't turn a corner and not have a good shot. So finding what matters to you on the, on the stills anyway, has got to be a bit of a, I mean, it's, it's not that hard to point the camera and shoot, but to really find something that looks good and, you know, meets your artistic or, you know, quality or aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, well, that always sort of uh, depends on the wave conditions anyway. Cause like my first uh, thought, whenever I go on a trip, whenever I go on a shoot is I want to get the best action shot I can. That's always my goal. And a lot of times you like just sort of can't when the conditions aren't that great. So you need to kind of like have other things in the back of your mind. And I got some really good advice from Peter Terrace, who was the editor of surfing magazine at the time. I was sending him photos all the time. And then finally he was like, Hey man, I'm liking your shots, but it's all just like air reverses and carves and barrels. Like, tell me a story. Like what kind of car do these people drive? Like, let's see where they're suiting up. Show me the environment. Like, how'd you guys get to this spot? So it's like, he kind of opened my mind to be like, Oh, I need to be shooting more than just like the sport. I need to be shooting the whole lifestyle behind it. For sure. So yeah, yeah go, going into a trip, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to get the best action shot and how to shoot it as many ways as I can differently. But then at the same time, I'm kind of like, okay, I need to put that same effort and emphasis into shooting just the lifestyles and the lay of the land and like how we got there and what we're doing, you know? Yeah. And that's where I always feel like, uh, to circle back to what we talked about earlier, that's where I feel like it's absolute benefit for a surf photographer to also be an avid surfer because as an avid surfer, like you think back on trips that you go on, not for photography's sake, but just for a surf trip. And you think about all those things that made it unique or made it memorable and and then when you change hats into surf photographer, you think, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, I need to document that. It's not just the air reverse. It's the crazy muddy road that we got stuck on three times to get there and the adventure of getting unstuck and things like that. So I, I think that's actually a, a big advantage. Yeah, totally. It's, it's a big advantage to be like a part of the culture and not just documenting it, I think. Yeah, definitely. But... The same, this, like, there's a lot of really talented photographers who don't really surf that much. And sure. it's like, so I think it just depends your mentality and your creativity. So like for me, when I go surfing a lot of time, I get really fired up to take photos. Like I'll, the light will be not nice or something. There'll be just like a split second moment in a wave and I'll be like, Ooh. And then I don't know, I get super fired up to go take photos the next day. Whereas the same sort of thing, I'm taking photos and then seeing everyone ripping and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go surfing tomorrow, you know? So it's like, I feel like one kind of, you know, lights a fire under the other. So it's super beneficial for me anyway. Yeah, that's great. Well, absolutely. You know, I think you probably remember, I think we, uh, or I reached out to you about a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago, about a photo that you had taken of Ben. Um, I mean, a few, he had sent me a few cause I asked him to, uh, to accompany a little, you know, undercurrents piece about him and the journal. Yeah. And, that was uh, beautifully written by the way. Great job. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I would actually, uh, um, defer to the photographs because if anything catches their eye over there, obviously it's a good photo. And, and this photo, you know, pretty much played front and center. I mean, if there's any reason the article was run, it was probably because of how badass that <laughs> photo was. Um, you know, I think he was smoking a cigarette, had a ski mask on, a hood up, and the smoke was covering one eye, and he kind of had this, like, grizzly, sea salty look out of the other <laughs> eye. And uh, it was yeah. black and white. I mean, it's just, it said, Canada's cold, and if it's... you want to come up here and shoot or film a movie, good luck, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's so funny. That photo was actually taken during that Scotland trip. And repeatedly, Ben had asked me, don't take photos of me smoking cigarettes. <laughs> he's, like, it's, it, he's like, it looks gross. Like, I don't want to be attributed to that. But it's like every time he lit up, lit up a cigarette, he had this swagger about him and I couldn't help it. So we were checking this one spot and I turn around to like ask him something and he's just got this dart hanging out of his mouth and he's got, yeah, put up ski mask. 
can barely see his face, just smoke all around him. And I was like, this is such a moment. I mean, it is a moment. Now speak to, speak to rates about getting a photo in the journal, which obviously is the finest publication in our sport. Uh, mm-hmm. What is, what is their pay rate? How does that, how do you make ends meet with a little photo, like something like that? Well, with a little photo like that, it was pretty small. I think that photo was like, what, like two inches big, <laughs> like among the yeah. whole page, like less than that. It's like, you're not getting much regardless of the magazine, but I think like the journal's rates are pretty competitive with everyone else's. And I think there's, you know, getting a photo published in the surfers journal is like worth its weight in gold. I would agree. I wouldn't even want need to be paid to get a photo published in the surfers journal. It's just such an honor. It's such a beautiful timeless magazine and they put so much time and effort into it. And it's like, they plan their issues so far in advance. Like I have a spread coming up that they asked for like six months ago and they're like, Oh yeah, it's in the November issue. And I was like, Whoa, that's like, they put a lot of time into it and you can really tell every time you open up, open up a magazine. So yeah, it's like their, their rates are kind of irrelevant. Like if I get a photo published with them, I wouldn't even care to write them an invoice. I'm just more excited about (laughs) the honor, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You're right. It is kind of irrelevant. And um, speaking of, of, uh, you know, getting out on the road like Scotland or whatever. I don't know if I mentioned or not, but I have this fascination with Nova Scotia. I've been up there with my dad. It was kind of like the last golf trip we we've taken probably the last golf trip I'll take. He's getting up there, but, um, with him, but it was beautiful. Every time we turned a corner, I'm looking at the setups wondering, you know, what it must be like when there is swell. And uh, can you just kind of start at the beginning of this last blog post and walk us through like a five, 10 minute sort of like start to finish, you know, where did you score? You know, not necessarily the places, but the actual, you know, turn of events that led to it. You know, give us a, give us a, a picture of a, of a day in the life or a trip in the life of a photographer. Okay, so <clears throat> it's funny you mentioned Nova Scotia because the lead up to it is uh, pretty silly because I had just finished a shoot with uh, Northern BC Tourism. We were up in Haida Gwaii shooting like a tourism feel-good culture piece. And I got on the plane, flew to Victoria to go see my girlfriend. And then as soon as I landed, I got a text that said, we're going to Nova Scotia, swells hitting tomorrow, we're taking a red eye, are you coming? <laughs> I was on the I just landed on the tarmac and I was like why well, my first thought was well I'm already packed so it's like yeah <laughs> I went to my girlfriend's house I did laundry and then I booked a ticket and then I I can't remember if I left that night or the next morning but you know it was a red eye so I definitely left like really quickly um yeah so that was a bit of a cowboy mission like again they had been to Nova Scotia a few times and I never had so and that was definitely on my bucket list so yeah we jumped on the red eye got to Nova Scotia and then it was all a bit of a blur because I can't sleep very well on planes yeah so I was like awake pretty much the entire time so when we landed I was uh, pretty out of it pretty loopy but thankfully I wasn't driving so um yeah we got to Nova Scotia and I think there was no swell the first day or it might have been windy. I can't remember, but I know we weren't surfing, but the point is there was like a hurricane swell and in their experience, whenever there's a hurricane swell, it means that flights usually get delayed into Nova Scotia. So that's why they wanted to take the red eye to get there super early. So we got there, just kind of posted up. And then the next day we were on and uh, where we were staying um, was like right on right in the middle of the bay at our friend Dean's house. And there's like, from looking out his window, sipping coffee, you can see like three or four different surf spots just all in that bay. Wow. It was pretty unreal. So yeah, we ended up going to the one that was like right out front of his house. Cause we're like, Oh, it's right there. And uh, yeah, it was super, super fun. Um, just lots of swell, pretty chunky. So not like the clean, perfect peeling lines that you'd normally see in all those like photos of Nova Scotia. But I was with uh, Noah Cohen, who's a good friend of mine here in Tofino, Hannah Scott, and uh, Noah, Noah Wegrich. We just call him Waggy, but uh, he flew in from California at the last minute and joined us on the trip because he just loves Nova Scotia because there's so many rampy lefts. 
And uh, yeah, so we scored that first day with an awesome sunrise, like big waves, chunky sections. I probably got my best photos of Waggy just flying through those air sections that first morning. And then later on, we ended up literally just walking over and around to the top of the point of the bay and surfing up there as well. And yeah, it was overhead waves, clean, glassy, peeling. I think that was the next day. And um, yeah, it was probably one of the more mellow travel surf trips in regards to like, I was describing how we were constantly driving everywhere all the time. And this trip, just based on our setup and where we were and where we wanted to surf, everything was like a five-minute drive away or a 10-minute walk away. It was like yeah, really hey, close quarters. Real quick, Marcus, can you just go ahead and give me Dean's address? Dean's address. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll link you guys up on Instagram there and you can chat because right, Dean's probably one of the nicest guys in the world. And it's like, yeah, he had a bunch of us sleeping on his couch and he was just so psyched. Is that Dean Petty? Dean Petty. Yeah. yeah. We actually showed a, a really beautiful short film of him. Um, oh, no that was all filmed right there around his house. Yeah. It's, uh, it's gorgeous up there. Oh my gosh. His setup is so unreal. Yeah. I, that was actually, it's funny. That was the first time I'd ever met Dean. And wow. he was, and I just like stayed at his house for weeks. He was so psyched. Nice. Um, yeah, he's such a nice guy, and yeah, can't say enough good things about him. But cool. We're gonna wrap this up and give Dean a call real quick. Yeah. So uh... <laughs> great. Let's get him on, Mike. What are you guys doing at night on these trips? Are, are is there poker involved, blackjack? Or are you trying to get some sleep? No, we uh, like I said, it's like on most surf trips. The second we we get home, we make dinner and we go to bed because we're all exhausted. But yeah. you know, because we weren't traveling around as much and doing all the endless driving and that sort of stuff we had a bit more time in the evening so like we did a bunch of stuff we went to an escape room we went to <laughs> we went and saw a movie we went to, uh we just would like go out for dinner or whatever right went to wing nights went to trivia nights like i don't know it was it was fun to kind of like i think it didn't even really feel like a surf trip because we were still in canada so it's like i don't know it just felt very comfortable even though we're across the country. Yeah. Yeah. So it was good. Unreal. I know that I grew up here in Florida, but then I was lucky enough to go to college in Santa Barbara, California. And that's like land of the right point break, you know, cobblestone mm -hmm. perfection. And uh, I, when I was a freshman there, I worked at uh, sex wax at the factory packing wax and boxes. No way. And yeah, I met Zog was one of the first people I met when I got to Santa Barbara. I got, I went out there knowing nobody and I met Zog at the beach at Rincon and he, uh, he had a real soft spot for degenerate surfers. And so he, he gave me a job packing wax in, in the factory and That's ended amazing. Up being a distributor for him in Florida later on down the road. But I remember the guy, uh, his name was Doug and he was the, he was the delivery guy for sex wax for the whole coast of California. He'd load up this huge van and drive up and down the coast and and live there in Santa Barbara and he would leave in the winter every year he'd leave Santa Barbara to go on a surf trip to Nova Scotia and he said it's because the the waves are just as good there's just nobody around yeah totally there's definitely a lot less people than Santa Barbara for yeah. sure um i was actually surprised though like yeah the lineups were like relatively empty like especially if we would use the comparison a lot like, oh my God, if this wave was in Tofino, there'd be hundreds of people on it. Like this sure. is insane. But instead there'd be like a handful, like, you know, 10 people on like the busiest day. Wow. You know? So it's like, yeah. And everyone's so friendly in Nova Scotia. So it's pretty chill. Nice. Yeah. No so pun intended on the pretty chill part. It's so <laughs> cold. I want to oh, bring that okay. up by the way. It is the coldest water I have ever been in. I always thought people were just like, hyping it up but man every time i dove under swimming with my camera felt like i was getting tattoos on my face it oh. was so heavy yeah that's kind of not me i'm, I'm pretty sure i, I yeah. it sounds good like i'm good for september maybe a little early october action and yeah uh, you <laughs> apparently know. you can wear a three two in september like the water temp fluctuation is so wild yeah that's what i was thinking like i kind of was thinking the gulf stream might run right into it but it still misses it and yeah, it's got to be cold, but I think the the payoff, like John's referring to, for somebody to leave Santa Barbara in the winter and head that way is saying something. And it's it's on my list. My cousin, of all people, lives in Halifax and has a house, you know, nearby. I guess 
on the ocean and all this stuff or his in-laws do. And I've just, I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but what you're describing says, you know, you were probably pretty close to Halifax. Yeah, we went in, we went into Halifax a couple times. We uh, went and checked out on one of the down days. We went and checked out a hockey game. It's the, Hal- I think it was <laughs> nice. the Halifax uh, Mooseheads. Nice. Yeah. It's funny. Um, we were with Waggy and he, I don't think he'd ever really been to a hockey game and all he wanted to do was see a fight. He just thought that was so cool and he wanted to see two guys scrap. And then he left at some point in the second period to go get more beer. And while he was gone, two guys started fighting and I was just losing my mind. Oh no. Yeah. Poor guy came back. He's like, what happened? What happened? (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Waggy's from Santa Cruz, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do they fight all the time there? What are you talking about? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) He wanted to see a fight on ice, not in the water. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah. um, So, Going forward, you know, we're, like you said, Canada's somewhat back to normal. We're, uh, our version of normal here is different every single day, as I'm sure Mm -hmm. yours is, but um, what's kind of uh, next on the horizon for you? Are you able to plan a trip or do you, you know, do you have any interest in doing that or are you just kind of taking it day by day? Or like a boat up the coast. I mean, how often can you jump and and do that seems to me, I mean, obviously grizzly bears excluded, but like, a little version of paradise, you know, jumping in a boat and going up that coast. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, normally this time of year with all the South swells, we'd be jumping in a boat every weekend if the weather's good. Um, Yeah. Going up the coast is no joke either. It's like, you need to make sure that not only the conditions are right for the spot, but the the conditions are safe to get to and from the spot. Sure. So it's like, yeah, if there's going to be a bunch of wind the next day, it's like not really ideal. Um, but it's, yeah, because of the pandemic right now, all of the good surfs, not all, but most of the good surf spots up the coast, um, are on first nations land and they have all requested us to not come there and surf, um, you know, out of, for the health of their communities and the respect for them, they've asked us to not come. So it's been a pretty low key summer as far as boat trips are, um, are going there. But, um, yeah, I think as long as things don't get too crazy or get worse we're trying to plan another nova scotia trip for october oh nice yeah and this time we we kind of want to just go for a month and like kind of hope there's swell as opposed to like going last minute for like a a hurricane or something um but obviously that's super subject to change with how the world's going so like if it gets worse then obviously we can't really travel Sure. Like we're like I think in the middle of it we weren't allowed to travel outside of our province, but now I think provincial travel is okay. Okay. Um. So yeah, we're planning a Nova Scotia trip, but I'm not really holding my breath just in case because everyone keeps talking about this second wave that's coming. So. Yeah. Yeah. Is the plan to to hook up with Dean again? Oh yeah, we're gonna stay at Dean's place again, and uh, yeah, we we want to bring more surfers, more surfboards. Um, we want to bring a few longboarders and stuff just to kind of like mix it up. So when that way, nice. when it's flat, we can still shoot and like go surfing ourselves and stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, so it'll be kind of like a working holiday, as far as Unreal. I'm concerned. Unreal. Yeah. We'll see you up there, right? John? Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be good. calling Dean and uh, booking our room at uh, Chateau Petty. <laughs> Got to be an Airbnb around there somewhere. Let's. Uh, I mean, we're not even guarantee there is, and it's probably like dirt cheap too. Yeah, we won't be able to even get past the security yeah, line think, in Orlando. I don't think Canada will have us in October. Yeah. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> so, well, awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much, Marcus. We really appreciate having you on and uh, kind of giving us a rundown and uh, you know how how you got started in this life and um, you know where you're at currently. And um, yeah, just no, nothing but respect for the artistic form that you uh, that you work with. And um, yeah, yeah, we're stoked to have you, man. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I've never actually been on a podcast before, so this is uh, pretty exciting for me. I've listened to so many podcasts, so it's cool to be a part of one. All right on. It's good to have you. And I think we should know where we can find your work. I've Just from what I've seen and what we're going to post on Instagram as a little montage, um, it's beautiful. And you've got, you. yeah, I mean, you didn't, I mean, you surprised me. Actually, I went I went through the the photos you sent and was blown away. And any one of them, I'd be proud to have on my wall. To be honest, I think um, I might actually be going through the gallery here in the next few days. Um, one photo in particular that I loved was I think there was a, a surfer in the lens of the camera. It's something we all try to pull off, but you did it. Yeah, precisely. I mean, it was beautiful. 
thank so, you that that was uh that was a tough photo to get for sure um that okay, one actually yeah. ended up being the one that ran in surfing magazine is that all right those, okay all those yeah, that's ago, a jewel. yeah yeah uh, that's definitely yeah. a gem well listen good luck to you and uh just please tell us real quick where can we find your work and uh what's you know maybe the best uh profile and all that good stuff to follow you for sure. Uh, you can just find all my work and everything you'll need to know about me at marcuspaladino.com. Um, and follow me on Instagram. It's just at Marcus Palladino. And um, yeah, that's, that's where you'll find me. Keep it up. You're living the life we all wish we could live and uh, <laughs> you're doing it in style, my friend. Thank so, you. Uh, John, nice any last word? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cheers, Marcus. Thanks for being on. Hey, no problem, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us to spend a little time talking with Marcus about what he's got going on up there in Tofino and what's coming in the future for him. The music from today's episode is from Chad Campbell's great surf movie, The Fifth Symphony Document. Uh, You can find the movie on iTunes and you can find the soundtrack on Bandcamp.com. And we'll have Chad on here as a guest in the next few episodes, so definitely stay tuned. Can't wait to talk to him about the making of that great surf film and some of his early day adventures as a boatman at Tabarua, among other things. Uh, Other future guests include CJ Hobgood, 2001 world champ, as well as Chad Davis, the founder of the Carolina Surf Film Festival. So lots of good stuff coming down the pipe. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Atlantic Center for the Arts, and thank you to them for hosting us. On this hot desert